Welcome back to the Buddy Ruski Show. This is episode two. If you haven't heard my interview with Nick Wallhauser, uh, it was a real doozy. I think you'll enjoy it. So check that out uh, on the page at buddyruski.com. But today I am uh, very pleased to have my good friend Mandy Paget on the show. Uh, fresh off her trip from, uh, or two, I should say, Seattle. That's right, uh, I'm which back. Which sounds like it was uh, a trip to remember and maybe one that takes her away from Durham. It's oh, no. Kind of sad to say. So we, <laughs> we may talk a little bit about that. Uh, but some of you may know Mandy and I actually hosted uh, or co-hosted a show earlier this year called The Rundown. That was a really fun project. Who knows? Maybe the rundown will will make a comeback in Ooh, some return? iteration what? Uh, at some point in the future. <laughs> inside scoop there, Justin. That's what the show is for. It's for the for the inside scoops, the secrets. Uh, let's jump right into it, Mandy. Uh, you, although you're very entrenched in the Durham culture, are actually not a Durhamite. No, a lot of I know. Uh, would probably be surprised to hear that. So tell us a little bit about kind of where you're from, your origin story, and and how you got to Durham. Okay. Do you want the the <laughs> All the way back. Do you, yeah. yeah. Like that's a, that's a Con- big conception. That's a, all the way a conception. To, uh... I'm not sure about conception. <laughs> Somehow I was conceived in South Korea and then shipped over here because I'm adopted. Um, lived in Illinois till I was four. And then my family moved to uh, Burlington, North Carolina. My dad's a professor, got a job at Elon University. And um, we've been here since then. So I grew up in Burlington. It's like 40 minutes west of here, I guess. And that's my story. And then I went to Elon university yay go fighting christians go fighting christians which is hilarious because they literally were the fighting christians until like 2000 oh wow which is like yeah like a long time like i grew up going to like the university and seeing the mascot who kind of looks like the fighting irishman okay but it was the fighting christians and that story i think is because elon back in the day uh used to compete with a quaker school So in that area, and so they'd have like, I don't know, sports, basketball, whatever. And so it became the Christians versus the Quakers. And so that's where the fighting Christians came from. But then they had a whole rebrand, became Elon College to Elon University and became the Phoenix, singular. Yeah, Yeah. probably a a good choice on their part. (laughs) Although I would love to see some vintage fighting Christian team sweatshirts or something. That'd be... It, uh, it really did look like <laughs> it really did look like the Fighting Irishman, I, right? Is that Fighting Irish? What is Fighting this? Irish? Irish yeah. is Irish. Okay, singular. I guess okay. Irish is both singular and plural. Yes, I'm Who just knows? thinking about the mascot. He's kind of like this yeah. dude had the you know like the big beard and the curly hair and he just, uh, yeah. Who knows? Who knows? It was a thing. Uh, so you uh, are not an, an only child, but the only adopted. No, my brother's also adopted. Oh, is he? But we are not uh, related by blood. So okay. he was adopted in 85 and okay. I was adopted in 87. Do the math. Y'all know how old I am now. <laughs> but um, yeah, so he is two, a little over two years older than I am. And he was adopted and came um, to the United States when he was eight months old. Okay. And then I came Actually, I just had my quote unquote, when you're adopted, well, most families, you have like an arrival day kind of thing. Mm. So my arrival day was actually this, uh, October 30th. Okay. So I just, 31 years in the United States, people, woo! My parents used to make jokes that were like, you arrived on the 30th and then we went trick or treating and we're pretty sure you didn't smile for like four months because you were so traumatized. Oh no. Because <laughs> it was like new baby, new place. <laughs> Probably didn't understand any English, obviously, I don't know, or any words or any 
sounds for that matter when you're that old. But that was just the long running joke is that I was just like all stoic as a baby because I was scared from going out <laughs> trick or treating. How, how different you are now. <laughs> I know. Look at me. <laughs> stoic, very uh, animated personality. Uh, what what was it like growing up in, in Burlington? I'm not too familiar with Burlington. I think the only other person that I know from there is maybe uh, Tab. I'm pretty sure he's a Burlingtonite. Oh, yeah, Burlingtonite. he is. He went to my rival high school. He, okay. went to, he went to Williams, which okay. was the quote-unquote city high school. Mm. And I went to Western, which was like in the country. Not as country as maybe some others, but I went to Western. So it was Western versus Williams a lot of the time. Big rivalry, which is not a big deal. It's just high school sports. But you know, I think there was a rumor that at one point when I was in high school, people from Western before a football game killed a deer because hunting season, it's the fall. And then dropped it in the Williams parking lot. <laughs> Yikes. <laughs> As like a, you know, rivalry week thing. I don't know. But yes, high school, so man. I went to the country high school where kids took off for the first day of hunting season. You didn't go to school. You went hunting with your parents or whatever else, you know. It sounds like something people in Northern high school, that was one of Riverside's big rivals. Oh, it was Northern. That sounds yeah. like something, that, you know, Northern yeah. Durham, close yeah. to like the city county line they're out in the in the sticks yeah so, that is <laughs> um yeah high school rivalries can get can get vicious i guess so but no yeah it's good i mean burlington small town like i think you know moving to durham when i moved to durham after college it really made me i think the last eight years i've been here have grown to appreciate diversity in your surroundings and diversity of like durham um which is a great part about the city was and that I, not a big part of your upbringing? In, in no, Burlington? like, I mean, your family, like, I, I just grew to realize a lot of things when I was younger that I wouldn't have noticed. Like, my parents would go out to eat, we'd go out to eat as family, and people would kind of like look at us because it's like two young Asian kids and two older white, you know, people. So like, that was always kind of interesting. And then the older we've gotten, if we go out to eat, a lot of times people will ask two checks or one for like when we eat dinner because it might be you don't know so like stuff like that but also in my high school and most of my schools there were some asian families but like running tally in my high school four years that i was there there were probably like six we used to count there were like six asian students and like burlington it's like east burlington is known as being you know you go under a bridge and it's like more or less where the black neighborhoods are and then like on the west side it's more white neighborhoods and so like i'd never had any issues really growing up in burlington but i think it is definitely less racially diverse and all that kind of stuff i mean that happens in durham too depends on you'd school some neighborhoods like all that kind of stuff but i do feel like now that i feel more uncomfortable going home Mm. in this political climate and like all the other kinds of things i feel less comfortable going to burlington than i would ever have noticed as a child. I think I was just ignorant to it, blind to it, um, grew up with it, didn't think anything about it. I would forget that I was Asian sometimes. If you don't look at yourself in the mirror and you're surrounded by a bunch of other people that are not Asian, you're just like, culturally, I'm from white middle-class America. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, so. Yeah, it's interesting you say that. I, I was having that same conversation yesterday and it came up, we were talking about um, the use of the N-word, which mm. is a very you know, divisive topic, mm. obviously. But there are so many folks that, depending on the culture that you grow up in, even if you're not African-American or not black, 
the n-word is used all around you all the time and, and it's way different context though. yeah right sure yeah um, but but just the, the the difference between kind of the culture that you were born into and then mm. the culture that you are raised in mm. and how those things may or may not clash as you get older and you're trying to figure out your own identity well i think and i don't know if we've ever talked about this but i've had conversations with multiple other people about this that i feel like adoptees and kids of mixed race have a lot of similar identity thoughts and issues the only difference is i think when well i feel like personally for me because i was adopted i don't have ties to you know the korean background but you know if you have parents in your life then at least culturally you have ties to both cultures right but there's a sense of like interesting identity that comes along with it so yeah i can imagine being using the n-word or whatever else culturally is like as an example is like yeah you're raised in a certain culture but you might also be something else so I don't know. So people have told me that I can use it. And I was like, I've been in certain situations with certain friends and they're like, oh no, you get the pass. And I'm like, I don't get a pass. Right. You, you don't get a pass to use that word. I'm saying, I will never, it's fine. <laughs> like, do you know Yeah. That's, that's a whole nother podcast. <laughs> it's a whole nother thing where it's like people get quote unquote passes. And I'm like, no, no, we, d- we don't do that. Yeah. We don't give out free. I don't care who you are. <laughs> yeah. So, so you graduate, you end up at, at Elon and you said your dad was yeah. a professor there. I had my dad. I took with my dad's class. Oh man. Was that a big uh, reason why you chose to go to school there? No, I mean, frank, honest, uh, Elon is a really good school. I wanted at the time when I was in high school, I really thought I wanted to be a news TV news producer. Okay. Elon has a great, uh, broadcast communications program, specifically news based. Um, so free tuition. I mean, it's still paid room, still paid room and board, but you basically get a private school education for the price of public school education. Mm -hmm. So it just kind of all worked out. I grew up being like, I'm never going to Elon. It's not happening. Mom and dad, I'm going to go to school, uh, like halfway across the country, far, far away. away. It's just never going to be that. And then it came down to applying to schools and I was like, well, Carolina or Elon, they both have broadcast comm programs. But Elon, I'm, you know, all right, cool. It's good. It's really good. So I obviously did not do that as a career choice. I got to school and was like, these kids are crazy. So I'm going to go ahead and bypass TV news and just kind of found my way to just like normal video production. Yeah. What did, what does your dad teach or what did he teach? He teaches, he's still teaching. He is a journalism professor. So he teaches his main courses are media law. Actually, media law is his big one. I uh, used to teach a lot of media writing as well. He has a journalism background. And then I guess also does some other general studies courses. But yeah, journalism. So what did you, what class, you take his media law I class? I took his media law class because okay. it's like the best class. If anyone wants to look up George Paget on Rate My Professor, he gets like really good ratings. I think he's a really great professor. He's like lecture based, plain black and white. He hands you a syllabus, hands you study guides for tests and says, this is the only thing you have to study. There will be nothing outside of this. You just talk the whole time, debate things with your fellow students. Media law. I, I was a mass communications major at yeah. Central and also really enjoyed my media law class. There's a lot of stuff there that, especially in this day and age, because the barrier to entry to starting blogs and websites, podcasts even, is mm-hmm. so easy, you end up skipping a lot of those the the specifics around 
libel law and mm-hmm. and other things that just the precedent that's been set throughout the years of right. building what we cur- the media uh, atmosphere we currently live in exactly yeah. and in, in a newspaper and a newsroom setting oh. you get that stuff not only in school but you're surrounded by it every day in a newsroom and if oh. you don't have that technical training and you're just working from home as a blogger or um, a media personality there's a good chance that you end up missing a lot of that stuff and mm. can get yourself in trouble. So yeah, yeah good on him to, to teach the, yeah. the important stuff. Did you like, you liked your law class? I did. Yeah. Because I felt like I was able to get a lot of the, um, you know, I had an editor, I was working with Aaron mm. Mandel at Clarion mm. Content at the time. Uh, so I was able to learn a lot of the specifics around creating media, mm-hmm. uh, but it was the, the law and sort of the, the other things in the orbit of of media that that I wouldn't have gotten in my everyday life so I did appreciate that class yeah it's crazy I just remember a the cases you have to like remember but going through and be like oh at some point and this is 10 years ago now at some point these things didn't exist and someone had to do it someone did it first and then quote got in trouble somebody really screwed up yes exactly someone got mad quoted somebody wrong and then we've got libel suits like who who knew at some point this happened (laughs) yeah so so you end up diverging from media journalism into standard video production what what made you make that transition yeah i kind of went through i mean talking about the whole college thing i kind of went through i felt very lost when that happened i studied abroad in london my spring semester sophomore year and that was at that point i realized i didn't want to do television news basically after my freshman year and i had an internship with a post-production house that did a lot of 3d graphics in soho and that was really awesome because it showed me a world outside of this one that i had kind of built in my head and after that i almost actually almost just took a semester off or took a year off because i didn't know what i wanted to do but elon had you know some digital art classes so i wound up taking a lot of digital art stuff and kind of getting into that and incorporating video into that and you can still get a broadcast degree without being in the news track so instead of doing film because they have film too i basically just kind of went into that and thought that I would do 3D work, okay. which was kind of like I did some Maya stuff, and which is a 3D rendering program and video, and thought I might do that stuff. But now I've just kind of, that's a lot of stuff that I didn't want to dive into later too. So now I'm just doing video production, which I like. And when, when were you at Elon? Graduated in 2009, so okay. 05 to 09. Because video, you know, now it's, everywhere it's pervasive you can't, yeah you yeah. you um whether you're working with clients or you're just kind of scrolling through social media like video everyone has a video form right mm-hmm. of of communicating and uh, but that that wasn't true at the time i mean social media um was, was just coming just around like at, it at started point. in what like oh four facebook started oh four i right. mean maybe a little before that but i remember elon was when Facebook went live to more than just X amount of schools. I got a Facebook in 05 and it was like pretty much brand new, right? right. Like, well, and even the technology with phones, video yeah. was not, you know, you, people weren't Snapchatting. They weren't, yeah. they weren't doing Instagram stories. It was all text based still yeah. for the most part. The cameras, uh, I don't remember what the like, <laughs> megapixels were for cameras, but they were so not bad. good. 
I remember, like, I, I don't know, I had, like, an LG flip phone thing. You'd take photos, and it just looked, everyone was just green all the time. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Like... It's just, it is awful. <laughs> so it, it doesn't seem as obvious to jump into video work maybe then as mm. it does now because there are so many positions in media for video creators. Uh, so, so you graduate from Elon in video production. What is it that you look to next in sort of where you want your career to go? Because uh, there's, you know, a lot of different options yeah. for, for video in, in, in the field. And so, yeah, what are you looking at for for your career? I think, I mean, good points. I think when I graduated A, it was not a good time to graduate. The recession was pretty strong then. Yeah. So there weren't a ton of jobs specifically just for random video stuff. It could have been, you know, TV news, like, or moving to LA or moving to a big city and trying to make it happen, which a lot of people I graduated with did and now are successful um, doing stuff out there. But I wound up getting a job at Eurosport and they had, because they were an online retailer, they were doing video stuff. So like to sell things. So right. like simple product videos, some commercial work, and then like YouTube, <laughs> YouTube just basically uploading videos so people could see stuff. So it was all very basic, way less content based, like all media is now, all video is now. So it was really interesting to see that. So it took me a little while, probably took me about 10 months to get a job. And then I got a job and I started doing that which I think was a really interesting place to be to see the evolution of online web content because I feel like that's where I'm strongest now is like what is the norm now is what I'm strongest at because it's what I've always done. I've always done short form videos for online purposes, whether that's retail or content based or whatever else. So starting in product videos and then through the years getting to go on some like first trips like I had a camera so they could send me on a trip and I would film with my own personal camera and do some interviews the first trip I ever did was to Puma headquarters in Germany and it was for product line launch and it was really cool because we got to interview designers and that kind of just started to snowball and so like the last four years I was at the company I was there for like seven and a half the last four years kind of started really building that relationship with all of the brands and making content specifically for soccer.com that was like interview based or you know stuff like that which you see all the time now building brand image through video so and had you moved to durham at this point or were you still yeah. in the elon burlington no. area yeah. i stayed let me think about this i moved to chapel hill in 2010 sometime in 2010 and then I, I moved to Durham but like 15501 Durham like okay right there by New Hope Commons yep. I moved over there so I've been in the Durham area Durham Chapel Hill area for like eight ish years okay yeah but cool. I didn't really get into I don't think I really how I made it into the downtown Durham scene I should if it's a scene we're calling it a yeah. scene are we is through a co-worker of mine who was friends with Salim in college Oh, okay. And then Salim moved back. We moved back at about the same time, or moved to Durham at about the same time. And she was like, oh, you guys both like video stuff. You should be friends. And then we became really good friends. And then that's how that all kind of doors opened in that sense. And he was coming from New York? He was coming from Japan. He had oh, just okay. moved back from Japan. So I moved to Durham, and he moved back to North Carolina from Japan at like basically the same time. Like I met him 
at a event for a fundraiser for the scrap exchange after the roof had caved in on their building and uh i met him that night or the night i don't know i basically remember that was the first night we kind of all hung out in corral tune whoa oops oops sorry sorry tune sorry fess jesus i'm getting it wrong all over the place lord fess that's that's on him all right that's not on us. <laughs> okay <laughs> yeah so he performed and that led into Salim and Salim being like making connections with him and then they made Hulk smash right. and it was, so it was like these weird kind of things where I just remember it was like that was something that got a lot of traction and like Salim people were like oh that's a cool video and like so then that kind of started all that for him and I just remember yeah it's also where we kind of first hung out and met too so cool yeah well, we'll take a quick break here. I do want to get more into your life in the, the downtown Durham scene and some of the projects that you've worked on with people like Salim Reshamwala. A lot of you uh, who've been following either one of us know Salim is kid ethnic. Uh, he does a lot of really cool stuff with video production and just kind of creativity in general. The guy's uh, a wizard when it comes to, to creative projects uh, of all but, shapes and sizes or exactly uh, so we'll take a quick break and we'll get right back to it I'm back here with Mandy Paget. Uh, we were getting into kind of post college career, starting at soccer.com. Before we jump back into uh, your time in Durham, I do want to ask you through your work with soccer.com, I know that this is something very uh, near and dear to your heart is your shoe collection. Oh boy. Did that start before soccer.com or did that come about because of the work you were doing and the access you had through Eurosport and, and, and that kind of thing? Multi-tiered answer. Okay. I have always liked shoes and I specifically remember my first pair of like sneaker sneakers that I was in love with. I think I was a freshman in high school and I got a pair of red Puma suede, okay. which is my love of Puma anyways, but red Puma suede, they were literally a full size, if not size and a half bigger than what I needed. Like it was like a guy's, I don't know, like seven. And I'm like a guy's like five and a half, six. And like, was that just, they, that was the only pair they had? It was like the only, them? it was like the smallest pair they had. And I really liked them and I really wanted them. And so like I got them and I wore them like to death. Like I fucking wore those things. Like, so sorry, but, okay. <laughs> but I did and I loved them. So like I've always, that was kind of like the start of me really liking sneakers and like cons when I was a kid and like through soccer.com you wound up building collection collection. Right. I right. built a collection. I now have probably 70 pairs of sneakers, Wow, which is a lot. I yeah. mean, they're not all like to, you know, they're not like high end everything. Yeah. I mean, I have a few pairs of Jordans. I got some other nice shoes too. We should have done like, a Cribs episode instead of a podcast. <laughs> that would be great. I have like legit, I'm embarrassed about this. I think I have like four pairs of shoes that I've never worn. Which it happens. It happens, whatever else. But I'm sure I have some runaway gear that's the same <laughs> never been touched. Just sits in my closet. Yeah. It'll but, be vintage eventually. Yeah. So yeah. I just need to hold on to it. I don't know. We had, we were, being that we worked with all the brands Nike, Adidas, Puma, New Balance, 
when you would go on trips, when they would be in the office uh, for meetings, anything like that, you couldn't wear other brands. Like, oh, sure. Do you know what I mean? Like, it just is not cool to be like, hey, Adidas is here for three days, or you're going to fly and hang out with people in Puma, but you're going to wear Addy gear, you're going to wear Nike gear. Like, Well, and that relationship in particular is a little... Um because of their oh, origins, yes. right? Yes. Like it would be Have really you read that story yet? Uh, I've I've skimmed through the Wikipedia page. Okay. I know a little bit okay. about it. Yeah, there's yeah. a book. There's a fun oh, book. Really? There's a fun book about it. Yeah, the Dossler brothers. Okay. Yeah. So for people that that don't know this, and and you could probably speak to this story better than I can. Uh, there were two brothers. I forget. Adi and Rudolph. Ru- Rudolph. Rudolph. I think. Okay. Yeah. yeah. Long story short, one started adidas one started puma and was that there was an original sort of so there was a parent yeah company it's or called the dossler dossler brothers shoes okay. or dossler shoes because that's their last name and in the small town in outside of oh my gosh i'm blanking on the name of the town and it's herzog and narok whatever herzo you say herzo it's short there is a river and the brothers grew up there i think it was like war war world war one they went off to war, whatever else, but they had like shoes. They were building shoes. They come back, start a company together. And the rumor is from the tour that I got at Puma okay. from this guy who's lived in this town forever, he was like, one of the brothers might have cheated with the other brother's wife. Oh, wow. That was the rumor. That's the rumor. It's still being passed on today. So, so then the brothers had a huge falling out. And one of them on one side of the river created Adidas, Adidas, so Adi Dossler. It's not all day I dream about sports. It's his name. <laughs> it blew my mind when I found out that wasn't right? true. Because we all knew that. We all thought yeah. all day I dream about sports or soccer or right. whatever else you were doing. Um, but it's Adi Dossler. And then uh, Rudolph, 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 whatever, uh, started Puma. Pretty uh, powerful shoe family there. Super powerful shoe family. They were like the first people to really try to get, I think the Dossler Shoe Company was the first, one of the first companies to try to create shoes for sports Okay, is what happened there. And so then both the companies broke off from that. Uh, yeah, maybe we'll we'll try and get some behind the scenes of, of Mandy's <laughs> shoe collection. Do you have, outside of your red suede Pumas, do you yeah. have a favorite? I know you're a big Adidas fan. I like do you Addies. Have another uh, pair that you're really attached to? I don't think you can go wrong with, classics like i rock superstars all the time and um stuff like that i have boost but honestly hot take boost is not nearly as comfortable as people like to say it is okay. for me for my feet at least i think it's too soft yeah i don't <laughs> uh i think the only oh i own some adidas basketball shoes now actually that that are pretty nice you have some um, cool shoes the shoes you have i think are all pretty cool i've come around yeah, yeah. working at runaway really helped a <laughs> lot um I, I should do some before and after photos of me like in high school and pre-runaway <laughs> and then what i got into my, afterwards my favorite not favorite and i like not trying to make fun of you or anything that's okay but how you told me in previous conversations years ago how when you were younger you realized that girls were not going to be into like Yu-Gi-Oh and pokemon oh, yeah. and you're like had to make that conscious choice to be like no no get into some cooler things justin <laughs> yeah which you know th- that ended up being like ralph lauren polos and khaki pants which i transitioned out of that pretty quickly i was not comfortable and then the girls still didn't like me back then anyway Aww. so uh, i got a good it. It one was, now. it was all for not you got a good one now yeah I, I i did uh pretty well for myself when you're looking for a project to work on or a client to work with what is it uh, about your style that you think 
uh, you want to shine in the project? And then on the client side, who is it that really attracts your attention when trying to to work with people? Because you um, worked with used at soccer.com for what, eight, eight years? Yeah, close to eight years. Uh, close to eight years and doing stuff uh, for them. So it's interesting. It was an interesting transition for me to go from working for a company and always doing little side projects on the side, you know, freelance stuff here and there, um, or working with Salim, but working for someone else's vision mm-hmm. and then going freelance and not, I'm, I'm still, I, I feel hesitant to say things like that. I'm doing my own work because what I actually enjoy doing most is video editing. And I do, I can do all the other stuff too, but what I enjoy most is editing. And since leaving soccer.com, I've worked pretty much exclusively with Salim for Salim for his company, um, which has been really fun. But I think like we have similar aesthetic and stuff that we like, like Salim has a very, you know, this is a very fun, informative way about creating video. If I had to describe it, it's going to be a bit funky. There's going to be color pops. There's going to be hip hop influence. And then also on the side of it, he comes from a journalistic background. So he likes to do stuff that's informative as well. Um, has a takeaway of some kind. But I think our styles are similar. Did you start out that way? Or do you think having worked with him over time, you found places where you clicked. And so the work that you were doing tended to lean in more into that direction when you were like, hey, we, we really work well together. Mm. Um, I have this project this client's interested in. Let's tag team it this way and, and vice versa. Because it does seem to me that, especially earlier on in Durham, before um, this big upswing in opportunity and just growth in general in Durham, the clients that you could get, the pool was, was pretty small. And yeah. so there was probably a lot of opportunity for, for overlap in the projects you were working on. Clients here in companies here in Durham or people, musicians, whoever, I think they, a lot of people want to be experimental. Um, and having a style of video, video being so big now, having a style of video that can represent like can exist in a corporate realm but have elements that are fun Mm -hmm. and a little less corporate which i think is something that is my aesthetic like i like clean things like i like things to be look nice and look really put together but i don't want it to have that feel of you're watching i don't know an informative information video at the beginning of your training you know what i mean like so i want it to be fun like music influence all that kind of stuff and i think there are a lot of clients in durham or this area that want that whether or not they they think they want that maybe let me let me just put it that way i think Uh, you're onto something they think they want it and so kid ethnic or a lot of our friend group uh that creates films in this area i think all have a style that is a little that can be fun and a little different right and so it, it satisfies works well. both needs. Yes. It, it satisfies yes. the client's need for the type of information they're trying to mm-hmm. convey in their video, but then it also satisfi- satisfies the creator uh, yeah. where they don't yeah. feel like they're being stifled yeah. by the box. And, and Salim, something that he talks about uh, a lot is, you know, sometimes being put in a box isn't a bad thing. There's... Um, creativity within being boxed in and having limitations and something I, I admire about his work and your work as well is is how you guys are able to build stories and convey messages uh, without the need for like big 
production. There's a lot of you know, MacGyver-esque uh, approaches yeah. to doing video. And one of the things that I had the pleasure of working, I, I want to say that, that you were there. I know this was one of Salim's videos uh, back in the day was for LinkedIn. We did a how-to video uh, for filming. With uh, an with, iPhone. With phones. I, yeah. I wasn't a, I've seen the video multiple times, but yeah. And, and doing, seeing him being a part of that project and seeing how that came about, it was, it was literally a video about how to do the thing that he's so good at. He's like giving away his secret sauce. And how you do it on an iPhone and how you can make things work with nothing. Like, yeah, that's if, kind if of, if you some... haven't seen it, you should, I, I will, I'll post it uh, on the page. Um, but yeah, it's, it's such a cool, you know, people think about video and they're like, oh, I have to have all these, these techniques and I have to have a big studio and i need all yeah. these i mean we live in the age of cgi and special effects but you can do really effective video with next to nothing we uh, i mean going back to my time at soccer.com and working with salim too it's like keep it working with salim we have like a mantra it's like keep it simple but do it well it's like you can succeed so much better if you don't don't overshoot or over try to do something because ultimately nine times out of 10, you're going to fail, right? Yeah. That's the journalist in him. Right. It's like nine times out of 10, you're going to fail. So if you keep it small within certain bounds, but you like knock it out of the park, that's what you should be doing. And like at soccer.com, we didn't have a big budget for a lot of things. You might think we would No, like video team had like nothing. So we were hand building like dolly systems with, um, there was this dolly thing that got built that was literally like giant PVC pipe and um, my boss, my old boss was like DIY everything. So giant PVC pipe, two tubes connected at the ends. And I literally was like dragging like a wooden like board across it that as a dolly. So like it was me physically dragging something like 10 feet to get like a dolly look. Or we use cake turners to for shoe presentation. So like you'd stick a plexiglass on top of a cake turner like for baking and it was electronic and then that's what rotated the shoes like there's like so many things you can do simple lighting and if you do it keep it small you can still make something that looks awesome is it crazy how much people think look at the vlogging that happens today like vloggers sure they're using maybe stabilizers stabilizers of some form or drones but like overall People do some really awesome stuff with not a lot of equipment. Yeah, I actually think that's the majority of people are using those types of techniques to to do the type of production they want because, I mean, we're creatives by nature Mm -hmm. um, and specifically that people that work in creative fields, their resources are limited and so they have to be thinking about new ways, new innovative ways to, to produce yeah. the, the kind of work they want to do. So, um, so you, so you're at soccer.com for eight years, yeah. recently transitioned out of that job. It's been a year now, been out for a year. Woo! Beginning of November was a year. Welcome to, well, I guess you were there before <laughs> me, uh, the, the freelance life. I know. Um, what is that, what has that transition been like for you and kind of what, have, what are you looking for now as a freelancer moving away from corporate work? Yeah, I think finding finding clients that at least can appreciate the vision that, you know, that stylistically, like what either I want to create. You can be a freelancer and everyone talks about this, you know, you sacrifice creative freedom to pay bills. But at the same time, like I'm never 
If I'm not slightly interested in something at all, there's no way I'm going to take that on because I would find no reason to do it. And then it would just be painful. And I don't really care how much money you could pay me. If it's painful for me to do, I just right. don't want to do it. Right. But the transition has been really good. I feel like for a long time, I was just not happy at my old job mm. and being able to come out on your own or with friends. And luckily I've been working with Salim and it's been amazing. Um, doing projects that are cool and fun that still pay the bills has what been was really it that interesting. Changed? What was it that changed for you? Like mentally or, or just what do you mean? At, at a certain, you know, every, a lot of creatives end up making that mm. jump from mm. being in a, yeah. uh, as part, a part of an organization to wanting to freelance. And my guess is there is a, either one moment or sort of a period of time where you start to feel like, I don't really want to do this work anymore. Um, so what was there a point for you where you finally were like, I need to get, I need to move on. I need to do something different. Yeah, I think that definitely happened for me. It was probably two years before I left. So it took me a minute to get out, but it was a constant cycle of feeling unsatisfied or feeling like it's you know, stagnant, right? Mm. I felt very stagnant. And then maybe something would happen. It would, it would ramp up a little bit. I'd feel like I was learning something new, doing something different. And then it would be stagnant again. And it was kind of this cycle that almost felt like a, an abusive relationship. Not, not really, but sure. like, I can't compare it obviously, but it shouldn't compare it, but it was like something good would happen and that would satisfy me enough of through the bad. Yeah. And then it would get to a point where I'd be like, Oh my God, I can't do it anymore. I feel like I can't be creative. This is not my life passion. No matter how much I like soccer as a fan, I did not grow up playing it. So it's kind of hard to get into this mentality of like this player and being excited about stuff all the time. So yeah, I think it just got to a point where it was like creatively, nothing I'm doing is satisfying me or satisfying the company. Do you know what I mean? And so I think you kind of, I hit a wall of where it was like, I'm not doing anything good for the company anymore and it's not doing anything good for me. And I really just need to, to leave. It's interesting because you have so many, you have access to so much as you know, a lot of what we look for as freelancers is, um, you know, resources to do the projects that we want. That's the hardest part. It's not coming up with ideas. It's having the resources to make them happen. And in corporate America and a lot of these corporate jobs, you, that's what you have. That's kind of the beauty of the, of the gig is you have access to things you might not normally have as a freelancer, but then, but to time, create what they want, right. not what you want. Right. Which is and the so, hard part. Yeah. That I don't, I mean, there's only so many people I think that have found that middle ground, that balance. What challenges have you faced as a, both as, as a woman and as a, an Asian American in your career as a videographer, as a now as a freelancer, whether it's relationships with with other people, with coworkers or clients, um, just being able to get work in general, kind of being overlooked for things that you feel like you've earned and you deserve. Um, <laughs> I think yes. It's You're like welcome a hard... to put anybody on blast. Yeah, no, you have to. But no, I don't want to. It's not that I'm putting anyone on blast. I, Video is a career, uh, most people I think know it's a male dominated industry um, for whatever reason, I'm not sure why. I think across the board it's pretty male dominated and in Durham it definitely is. Mm -hmm. But there are a lot of females doing amazing things and specifically in the documentary field. I think there's a lot of 
women in this community that are creating awesome work, but that may or may not be what I'm doing, what I've been doing. So kind of the route that I've been taking is less film, less documentary. And like, like I was saying, short form online and a lot of people doing that happen to be guys. I'm mm-hmm. not, I'm not sure where or how that happened, but specifically in the center of downtown, I feel like there are a lot more guys. So sometimes that's hard, but just keeping just I do my own thing and I think people know that I'm good at what I do so I don't know if I've ever been overlooked for something specifically in Durham but I think there are people that have been around um that have are more well known because they've been doing a lot more work and it's not a bad thing it's like they've been here and they've been working and so those are the people that are known but I do think it's hard what I wish sometimes is that people that are in the community that have been very successful, and I think Salim is really good about this. I'm, I don't know about the other people, but when you're building a set, when you're building a crew, we all want to work with people that we know and are comfortable with. There's a team. Like I know people that do certain jobs that I trust to do those jobs. And if I was going to build out a team, I'd want to hire those people. But unfortunately I find that a lot of times for people in the area, it might be all guys. Right. And so what I wish would happen moving forwards is just that people are conscious of those decisions and saying, okay, let's build a team that is more diverse. Let's find those people. Maybe they, I haven't worked with them before, but let me build a team that isn't just the same seven dudes that I always work with who happen to pretty much always be seven white guys. So I'm not putting people on blast. It's just being conscious of those decisions yeah, I know it's going to be a lot easier to work with the people that you're comfortable with because that's what we all want to do. Right. We all want to work with people we're comfortable with and that we know do a good job of what they do. And I'm not saying they, they aren't. It's just, come on, like let's mix things up a little bit and see what happens. And I, I think that's something that's been interesting is just watching that happen over and over and over again and being like, yo, like there's a really cool woman down the block who's doing that same thing or like, Maybe there's someone who has less experience, but let's give them a shot and see. And, you know, yeah, it brings fresh perspective in into your work as well. When you work with people that you haven't worked with before or are slightly different, have a slightly different approach than you. We went through this that same challenge at Runaway where, Mm. to your point, it's like, okay, we're going to have a release party or we're going to do this type of event. Who are we going to get to DJ or who are we going to get to come participate and we yeah immediately run to like okay we have our five friends who are all djs let's just invite them it'll be fun and and easy and and we got some pushback from it and i'm i am glad that we did i appreciate that people in durham are generally willing to hold each other accountable and and not in a negative way or um just like let's try better guys yeah we know you can right yeah (laughs) yeah it's a little constructive criticism and uh I can understand that being it's much more difficult when you are the person that is being neglected or being overlooked to um, rationalize that than it is the person in in the position of power. And I'm not, and again, it's actually not even me because I know where I've been and I know what roles that I've played in, in the work that I've created. And I'm not the one who's always in the forefront of the work that I've done, which is partially how I like it. Like it's, you know, my personality, I'm not one to want to step into the limelight very much. So 
that's where I find that video editing is very comfortable for me. I like telling stories, like building stories, but like I can kind of hide around and do whatever. So like, I totally understand that. I'm just, just thinking in general. I just wish people would understand that those are the choices they're making. It's not that they're choosing the wrong people. They're actually probably choosing the right people because they know that they do a good job. Right. But it's like every time make that decision to not call those same people and see what happens to the to the film community here, to the video community here. Because I think it would expand. I think it would. Well, now that you have this platform, you know, the 20 people that, that might listen to this, <laughs> who, uh, who do you want to give a shout out to that you feel like um, maybe doesn't get as much shine. That's hard. <laughs> that's hard. I don't know. You don't have to capture everybody, yeah. but just if there's anyone that come. I'm sure there are some folks that come top of mind that just like, yeah, they do really, really awesome work, and I want to make sure that people know that. Yeah, I mean, I, don't know, I think Becky, even though she had the platform, love Becky. I know, even though she had the platform or Runaway and stuff like that, I think she has a like super creative, interesting kind of way of of thinking which leads to her work being kind of like cool and interesting. And I think she may have had a harder time. I don't know. I don't know. I don't know. Um, but I think she's someone who's doing friend throw. She's doing some cool video work. She's got a lot of vision. She'll make it happen though. Yeah. She'll totally make it happen. When you guys have worked together. Yeah. When we've worked together on stuff before, which has been like more abstract and mm-hmm. different. That video for Mbala was really fun. And which one was that? That was uh, illegal. Okay. It was called illegal. And so the whole idea was that Mbala had this vision of Mimi had a vision of and talked with Becky about it of like a kind of a commune of women who are just kind of like doing these awesome things. And we I got brought in on the project and wound up shooting it uh, with uh, James Saki boy. James doesn't live here anymore, but I think his stuff's really like gotten a lot better. That's hard. There's been a lot of people that have lived here, but no longer live here right. too, right? Which is, yeah, a which challenge. It's a in challenge itself. in itself, which I also might be leaving. Yeah. But <laughs> Oops. Yeah, <geez. laughs> Holding it down for the city. <laughs> I love Durham forever. Um, yeah, there's a, I don't know. That's hard. I, there's like some young people. Well, and to your point about yeah. James, giving especially younger up and comers yeah. the opportunity to to learn and to flourish that's how you build a stronger community yeah. of any kind yeah. not just in creativity but in general we, we talk about this a lot with the startup culture in in durham and across the country is that that because there are these walls that are put up that there are these huge barriers that you end up with the same types of people and so the mm. fact that it's that video is a mostly white male dominated industry has a lot to do with the fact that if they're considering even if they are going to go outside of their network uh, or outside of their normal um, you know seven people that they bring on a crew if the the young person they bring up is also a white male even if they're different or or new or whatever then it doesn't really expand the pool of opportunity uh, across the board so and it's such a hard like nut to crack to in a lot of ways i mean i think that i think it's indicative of like what's happening across the board um in our country but we say these things and i and i see the problem i'm unclear of the best ways to fix it because how do we reach i would like to see more women some younger i know this one girl Mashla, who's really awesome and cool she worked on the hype set with like holland um and she interned out in, she went to Carolina, she interned out in LA and the DP, Bruce Cole for hype. 
um, who's also awesome, is uh, she was on a set with him out there, I think as a PA. She's really cool. I And I don't know, Salim's been working with her on some projects. I'm just using her as an example because I can think of her. But she's young and she's hungry. And I'm like, where, how do we get her in? And how do people get in without having been fully established I guess if that makes sense like there's a certain you've got to have a portfolio of work to be considered which is understandable for anything you got a resume if you're going to get hired for a job it's got to line up and the people want to hire you so I get that but I also am like trying to figure out like the best ways to like bring myself or like younger people I'm less experienced in certain areas that I want to get more experienced in and it's like how do how do we do that and yeah. I'm not quite sure of exactly Everyone the wants best work ways. experience, but no one wants to give someone without work experience a shot. Right. And, and I don't so, know if you've yeah. been feeling that. Like, I don't know how you've been doing with your whole transition to freelance and stuff like that. But or if you've experienced that from a younger age and, and growing up. But yeah, like, how do we do that? Because a lot of people are small. We're not a huge market. And everyone who's doing video, it's all small business private owned small business. So like everyone's on their grind and it's awesome. And like, we can all come together and build each other up. But yeah, how do we, how do we get those people in Justin? I don't know. And where are they? Like if there's young dudes or young other people that want to know more, I'd like to be able to help them or I'd like to be able to, to help open doors for people. I think Salim does an amazing job at that. He's very conscious of that kind of stuff. Unlike, some unlike other people I think sure. that I know just from personal experience but yeah if everybody was willing to do that I think it could be a really interesting thing yeah I mean we'll I, I definitely want to shout out black space because oh, yeah. mm-hmm. they do a really good job uh, of bringing up the next generation yes, of creators of um, they just had an album come out that was completely produced in-house by so the, the students and, and young people at black space they do a lot of video and and other audio projects as well so i you know i'm not sure the specifics of that model but if there are other things like that um that seems to be a way because um you know there are a couple of folks from black space that also worked on the hype set mm-hmm. as well mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. yeah shout out to holland man really just like dude giving everybody hype a was shot. amazing i'm sorry i i loved i thought that was so fun like to work, uh, you know, to work on this on the set was really great. The crew was amazing. Like everybody that was involved. Yeah, no, it was amazing. Yeah, it was so fun. And the going to the the premiere was great. That was really fun. What'd you think of the yeah. of the premiere yeah. or the show itself? The, the show itself, the premiere, everything. Right? Uh, I mean, I, I you're from well, Durham, so like that's the reason I asked. It's kind yeah, of a, and and. You know, for the sake of disclosure, I helped Holland. <laughs> yeah, we we, we both helped Holland. A little uh, partial here. Yeah, uh, some of the scenes were actually filmed here in this exact room or in this house. Which uh, ones? Yeah, all the 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 scenes of uh, smiles in his kitchen, kind of going through his oh, mail. All that. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Um, oh, over there. Yep, right over there. I see it. I yeah. see it. All right. All right. People that hear this won't see it. Um, <laughs> Sorry. But, just imagine uh, yeah, a kitchen, visualize. guys. Well, and, and, and they'll soon be able to see hype uh, yes. for themselves if they weren't at the premiere. But yeah, you, I thought that was awesome. No, I that kind of blew, you know, Holland and, and Bruce coming together. Um, Andy, who is the lead, one of the leads, but then also producer and some other people. 
who now Fonte is an executive producer. That's pretty fun. Yeah, no, that was like an example of me getting inspired by the people in our community in a lot of ways, just because small budget, crew, everyone was hungry, willing to do stuff. Um, not, not literally starving. Not I'm literally saying. starving, but like <laughs> had drive right. to achieve something great. And I think the end product was really great. And so I was like super proud to be a part of it and super happy and proud of everyone involved because yeah. that was really cool. I think it really speaks to the talent level that's here, mm. even though we're not in a you know large metro area. I, I just going back to folks like Salim and, and yourself as well, being able to do more with less is just kind of a part of what it means to be in Durham. And so that's something that I continue to appreciate about the work here. And think about, I mean, I know you're from here, but, and, you know, born and raised, but I think the last, since I've moved here, so I moved here and Motorco, like, wasn't open yet. None of that area, Rigsby, was not open, yeah. right? What people think of downtown yes. Durham had, had all not of quite that been built was up. so cool. So I'm not trying to be like, oh, I'm an OG. I'm just saying I moved here right before all of that right. opened. So like seeing all of that, seeing the takeoff of a lot of our friends' careers, seeing where everyone has gone and where we've all like grown, it's so crazy to think about like seven years ago what we were all doing. Like all of us, yeah. like. Runaway. I don't know. I mean, I can't give other examples, but I mean, that's just a good one. That's visual for people, sure. right? Like just thinking about all that kind of stuff has been really interesting. I think it has led to us having a very strong community here yeah. of good, awesome, creative people. And hype is something that's come out of that, which is really great. And I know, I guess I'm talking about this because I'm thinking about moving. So like, I know all this exists here and I know it's great. And I know it could be even bigger than it currently is. So yeah, yeah I think that's like a, a, maybe a marketing challenge for the creatives is, is not only doing the work, but then how do we get eyes on it? Not just in our own communities, but folks outside of Durham mm -hmm. to pay attention to what's happening mm -hmm. here. Yeah. It's sad to, to think that you <laughs> may move away, maybe not permanently, but at least for the time being, I can understand the itch. I was gone and had a great time up in, in the Northeast and got to spend a weekend in Montreal as well. Beautiful. Uh, which is, yeah. So if you ever beautiful. get a chance, if you're thinking about trying to travel internationally, Canada, not that far away. Quebec, you, it, you, go to, you go to Quebec and it's basically like you're in France. Yeah. So if you want to feel like you're in France, just go to Quebec. And then hit up Toronto on your way home, and boom, you got it done. Maybe not this time of year. <laughs> Maybe not uh, this, this time of year. The summer was pretty pleasant. But Mandy, uh, I want to say thank you for being on the show and just for the what you have represented here in Durham in the creative scene. Uh, it's been a, a pleasure to work alongside you with the rundown and, and other runaway things and plenty of projects outside of that, but didn't. Uh, also, just to, to be able to call you a friend. So Aww. thanks again for being uh, on episode two of the Buddy Ruski show. That is going to be it for us today. <laughs> if you again, if you haven't listened to episode one with Nick Wallhauser from Roundhouse, definitely check that out. You can do a little binging uh, when this one goes up, do them back to back. Uh, if you haven't checked out the Patreon page as well, take a look at that. Consider subscribing uh, to that to support this show and some other projects that uh, that I have in the works. That's patreon.com backslash Buddy uh, You can find me on 
all social at Buddy Ruski, pretty much anywhere on the internet. At it's, not Ruski. Ruski, it's, it's not Ruski, y'all. It's not Ruski. Rusky. It's, re- you know, I, I actually didn't know this was like a thing back in the day, but Ruskies apparently were like Russian agents. Uh, really? The Ruskies, yeah, everyone Ooh. during the, the Red Scare was afraid of the Ruskies. So um, I'm, I'm much more friendly. Uh, <laughs> You're on, not a Soviet spy. <laughs> no, no, although I may have some communist tendencies, but uh, <laughs> but as Mandy said, it is Buddy Not even Ruski. socialist, communist. You yeah, just went just, straight to communist. Yeah, hardcore. <laughs> Where can people find your work, Mandy? Oh, um, Pandy Magic is my Instagram account. It's mostly photos, though. I'm trying to get in photography again at some point. I'm working on it, Justin. I'm working on my online presence. But yeah, Pandy Magic. Check me out. You're doing so much work for everyone else. You've <laughs> neglected your own. Uh, your one own day, platforms. one day. I have a Tumblr that's got videos on it, but it's some day. Old di- school. Old school uh, just quick, easy, down and dirty, quick link. But um, yeah, I'm working on a website, full website. So one day it will Great. be. Great. Well, we'll make sure to, to share that around. <laughs> Again, thanks for listening. This has been another episode of The Buddy Ruski Show. We'll see you guys next week.